Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith as those doctrines are summarized in the Belgic Confession of Faith. And today, with God's help, we want to consider the subject of the church. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, as we read the verses 11 through 22. Hear God's holy word. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This ends the reading of the Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, we come in our study of the Belgic Confession of Faith to the doctrine of the church. Now, this section consists of no less than six articles, articles 27 to 32. Article 27 describes the nature of the church. Article 28 outlines our obligations towards the church. Article 29 differentiates between the true and the false church. Article 30 deals with the government of the church. Article 31 describes the offices of the church. And Article 32 concerns the discipline of the church. Now, a study of this subject is both necessary and timely. It's necessary because the scriptures speak a lot about the church. And that means the church is very important to God. And if it's important to God, then it should also be important to us. It is necessary because appreciation for the church today is at an all-time low. And there are many, many reasons for this. We can think, for example, of the rise of the Jesus movement of the 1960s and 70s that tended to downplay the importance of the local church and gave rise to hundreds of parachurch organizations which tended to displace rather than serve the church. 
We can think, too, of the uncovering of several sex and abuse scandals, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, which had the effect of discrediting all churches, both Protestant and Catholic. We can think, too, of the rise of secularism and consumerism, or the so-called church growth movement, which, while successfully attracting many to the church who were not previously attending church, did so often at the expense of certain aspects of biblical truth. And finally, we can think of the many who have been hurt by people or even leaders in the church and therefore vowed never to return. The result of this is that scores of people in North America today no longer view the church as relevant or even necessary. It's fine for some. If that's your thing, people will say, but it's not for everyone. Besides, we're told no one, you can still be spiritual and believe in God at the same time and not go to church. One can just as easily worship God at home, we're told, or while enjoying nature. And isn't the most important thing that we believe in Jesus? But beloved, none of this is biblical. While the church is certainly not perfect, and while it has done many things wrong, it is still the bride of Christ. Christ died for her, and one day he is coming back for her. And therefore, despite her many shortcomings, we should love the church, pray for the church, and do what we can to build up rather than tear down the church. Now with this in mind, and God's help, let's consider the glorious church of Christ. That's our theme. And we'll think, first of all, of her distinct attributes, secondly, of her holy members, and thirdly, of her gracious preservation. I said already that Article 27 is about the church of Christ. Now, what exactly is the church? Well, the word church is derived from the Greek word kyriake, meaning that which is the Lord's. And what a beautiful name that is. You know, really, at a certain level, all that exists belong to the Lord. But the church belongs to the Lord in a very special sense. And that's because the Lord died for her. She is his bride, his personal possession, his body, his kingdom. Now, in the Greek New Testament, this word is not used, however. Another word is used. It's the word ekklesia, which literally means called out. And by means of that word, God is teaching us that the church is made up of those who are called out of the world into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, it should be pointed out that when our confession speaks of the church, it's not speaking here of a particular denomination. For example, sometimes people say, I'm a member of the Lutheran church or the Pentecostal church or the Presbyterian church. And by that they mean they are members of a congregation that is in turn a member of a certain federation of churches. But that's not how the word is meant here. When our confession speaks of the church, it's speaking of the church universal. It's speaking of believers from every tongue and tribe and nation around the entire world from many different denominations. Now, this church has several attributes, several qualities or characteristics, and there are three of them, and all three are mentioned in this article. The first is oneness. We confess one Catholic or universal church, or as is written in the Apostles' Creed, an holy Catholic church. Now, when we say that the church is one, we do not mean that all believers agree on everything. They don't. And that's evidenced by the fact that there are so many different Christian denominations. 
Rather, we mean that all believers, from whatever denomination they come, and with all of their doctrinal differences, are still part of the one body of Christ. Just as Christ has one body, so there is only one church. In fact, in Ephesians 4, verse 4, Paul, speaking about the church, says exactly that. He says, there is one body. Now, earlier in chapter 2, he explained that the gospel of Christ forever abolished the middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles, so that there was not a church of the Jews and a church of the Gentiles, but only one church. And he also says that the Gentiles have been made nigh, or brought near, and therefore are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. What is more, he says, both Jews and Gentiles have been made one new man. They were given access through Christ by one spirit to the Father and are now being built an holy temple in the Lord, a habitation of God through the Spirit. And so the scriptures are clear. The church of Christ is one church. In John 10, verse 15 and 16, Jesus himself said, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So the church of Christ is one. The second attribute of the church is holiness. We confess here one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation. Now this holiness of the church is of two kinds. There is, on the one hand, an external holiness. When we say that the church is externally holy, we mean that she is set apart by God in Christ as his own peculiar people. That's implied again by that Greek word ekklesia, which literally means called out. Believers are called out or separated from the world in order to live unto God. And so Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 verses 9 and 10, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or special people. The church is also internally holy. And by that, we we don't mean that every member of the church is without sin. That cannot be true. Even the holiest of believers still sin. That's what the scriptures teach, and that's what experience confirms. What we mean is that every true member of of, of the church is holy in Christ. And what is more, they're becoming more and more holy by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And so the holiness of the church is is not only an objective reality, it's also a calling, isn't it? As believers, we have been called out of the world, set apart in Christ, in order to live unto God. As Peter puts it, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now the third attribute of the church is is Catholicity. Our confession says we believe and profess one Catholic or universal church. That word is also used in the Apostles' Creed. There too we confess an holy Catholic church. Now that word Catholic causes a lot of confusion for many people. And that's because we immediately associate the word Catholic with the Roman Catholic Church. And that has led some to believe that we're confessing here that the Roman Catholic Church is the one true church. But that's not at all what we mean by this. Nor is that what we mean when we recite those words in the Apostles' Creed. 
When we say we believe in holy Catholic Church, we mean two things. We mean, first of all, that the Church of Christ is not limited to a certain period of time. Now that's confessed in the second paragraph of this article, Article 27. And there we confess that this church, and I quote, this church hath been from the beginning of the world and will be to the end thereof, which is evident from this, that Christ is an eternal king, which without subjects he cannot be, end quote. So it speaks of, of the timelessness of the church. The church has existed from the beginning of time and will exist to the end of time. But secondly, we also mean by this that the church of Christ is not limited to certain persons. And that's expressed in the third paragraph of this article. And I quote, This holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed over the whole world and yet is joined and united with heart and will by the power of faith in one and the same Spirit. So here we confess that the church is not limited to one race of people, but it's gathered from all classes and all races of men, rich and poor, black and white, African, American, Chinese, Russian. Christ gathers his church from every tongue and tribe and nation under heaven. Well, these are the attributes of the church of Christ. She is one, she is holy, and she is Catholic. Let me ask you, what about your own church? Does your church reflect these attributes locally? Now, to be sure, as we've said, these attributes describe the church in her ideal form. But does the ideal conform to reality? Or rather, does the reality conform to the ideal? Ask yourself, are we holy? Are we as congregations striving after holiness with all of our might? Are we one? Are we striving for unity not only among ourselves, but also among other believers in Christ? Are we grieved by the many divisions in the church of Christ? Are we doing what we can to heal these divisions and unite with those of like-minded, precious faith? Are we also Catholic in our outlook and in our vision? Do we welcome people of all nations into our fellowship? And do we make them feel welcome? You know, when a builder wants to build a large building, say a skyscraper or an airport, he usually commissions an architect to make up a 3D model. The model tells us what the building will or must look like. Now, these attributes of the church function in the same way. They're like the model. And the question is, do our churches measure up to this model? Or is there room for improvement? Well, so far we've spoken about the church externally. She is one and holy and Catholic. But what about internally? What about the members of the church? What are they like? Well, let's consider that under our second point. Our confession says that the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is a holy congregation of true Christian believers, all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit you notice a number of things here. First of all, the church is described as a congregation. And that word congregation is derived from a Latin word meaning brought or gathered together. And by means of that word, we confess that the church is not a voluntary organization like the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or some other social club. She is a flock. She is the flock of God that is brought and gathered together by Christ as the good shepherd 
of his sheep through his word and Holy Spirit. Secondly, it is stated here that the church is said to be a congregation of true Christian believers. Now that does not mean, of course, that every member of the church visible is a true Christian believer. We know that that's not the case. There will always be faithful, or fruitful rather, and unfruitful branches in the vine. There will always be chaff among the wheat. Jesus himself taught this. The church will always consist of believers and hypocrites. When we say that the church consists of true Christian believers, we're we're speaking of the church ideally, not as she is in reality. Ideally, the church is composed only of true Christian believers. And notice what is said about these believers. It says, first of all, that they all expect their salvation in Jesus Christ. In other words, they have all learned by God's grace to see themselves for what they are, which is miserable, hell-deserving sinners who have no hope in themselves, but whose only hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it says here, they are washed by his blood. In other words, they know that the penalty for their sins has been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for them on the cross. And they have appropriated that to themselves in the way of faith and repentance. They're also said to be sanctified. In other words, they are by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, undergoing that gradual process by which the old man is being put to death and their new man is being more and more quickened. And finally, it is said here that they're sealed by the Holy Ghost. And that expression is taken from various passages of Paul's writings, denoting that the image of God has been impressed upon them and that they are set aside and guarded by and for the Lord. Well, these are the members of the church. They are a congregation of true Christian believers, all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ, washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Ghost. Well, that begs the question, doesn't it? Are you a member of this church? You notice I didn't ask you if you're a member of a certain denomination. What denomination we belong to, though that's important, it's not the most important. What is important is whether you are a true Christian believer, meaning that you are expecting your salvation in Christ, that you're washed by his blood, that you're sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. How necessary that is. You know, when we stand before the Lord in the day of judgment, he's not going to ask us what church you belong to. He'll ask you only if you have believed on his son. And if our answer to that question is no, then our church attendance and our membership will not make any difference whatsoever. And we will perish to an everlasting eternity. Isn't that also what Jesus teaches in the parable of the vine and the branches? Remember, there are two types of branches in the vine. There are fruitful branches and there are unfruitful branches. And when it comes to the fruitful branches, the husbandman, Jesus says, will prune them so that they may bear even more fruit. But when it comes to the unfruitful branches, the husbandman will cut them off and throw them into the fire. So my friends, this this is a matter of life and death. What kind of branch are you? Just because you're a member of a church, even active, participating member, even though you may go to the Lord's Supper, 
and profess Christ, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a living branch in the vine of Christ. And so we need to ask ourselves openly and honestly today, am I a living branch or a dead branch? You'll know that by looking at the fruit. Is there fruit in your life? Is there the fruit of faith and repentance in Christ? Is there the fruit of true, genuine sorrow over sin? Is there the fruit of holiness? Are you striving to walk in the ways of the Lord and to live to his glory in all things? Well, my friend, if there's no evidence of these things, you're a dead branch. You may be part of the vine, but you're a dead branch in the vine. And you need to be born again. You need to be converted. You must turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you refuse to do that, the Bible says you'll perish. Well, this is what the church is. It's a holy congregation of true Christian believers all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, our confession mentions one more thing about the church, and that is she is preserved. And that brings us to our third and final point. The church of Christ, though glorious, is under almost constant attack. And that has been the case from the very beginning of time. The first attack came in Genesis chapter 3, when the devil, disguised as a serpent, tempted Adam and Eve to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as punishment for his role in the fall, God pronounced a curse on the serpent. From that point forward, he said, he would put enmity between the seed of the serpent, which is the world, and the seed of the woman, which is the church, and ultimately Christ. The seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the seed of the serpent, meaning ultimately the seed of the woman would gain the victory over the seed of the serpent. But in the meantime, the seed of the woman would suffer greatly. Now we can see the evidence of that conflict throughout the history of redemption. We can think, for example, of the struggle between Cain and Abel or between Noah and his contemporaries who mocked him for building the ark. We can think of the people of Israel and the Egyptians, and later the Canaanites, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. Our confession also mentions specifically the perilous reign of Ahab. The whole history of redemption is punctuated by conflict between the church and the world. The church is still very much under attack today. She's under attack here at home in North America. There's a concerted effort today to silence and marginalize the church and even individual Christians within the church. And when the church does speak up, she's told that they must keep out of it. They must keep separate from the state. The church has nothing to say regarding the affairs of the state. So we are told there must be separation between church and state. And that means the church must remain silent also on the moral issues and the moral crisis of our day. Church is under attack. She's also under attack abroad, especially in Muslim countries and communist countries like China, North Korea. The church is under attack, my friends. At times we may well wonder if the church will even survive, if there will even be a church for our children and our grandchildren. But our confession assures us that there will be. Having just confessed that the church has been from the beginning of the world and will be to the end thereof, 
We read here, and I quote, and this holy church is preserved or supported by God against the rage of the whole world. Though she sometimes for a while appears very small and in the eyes of men to be reduced to nothing as during the perilous reign of Ahab, when nevertheless the Lord reserved unto him 7,000 men who had not bowed their knees to Baal. And so we learn here that in the midst of all of these attacks, God will preserve his church. Many Christians today think that the survival of the church depends upon us. People say we have to develop new programs and new ways to worship and and even secular marketing techniques in order to attract outsiders. Now, while not all of these things are necessarily bad, and while we do have to do everything in our power to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ, even becoming all things to all men, we must always remember that the survival of the church does not depend on man, but on God. God will see to it that his church is preserved, just as he saw to it that during the days of Elijah, 7,000 men had not bowed their knees to Baal. Oh, how thankful we should be that that is the case. My friends, if the church's existence was in any way dependent on us, she would have disappeared a long time ago. Thanks be to God, the church's existence is not dependent on us. It is dependent on God. He is the one who preserves and supports his church. And because of that, there will always be a church on earth. And one day, this church, which today seems so small and insignificant, which is attacked and mocked and ridiculed on every side, will emerge victorious through Christ, her head. Yes, the church of Christ is, in its ideal form, glorious. She possesses glorious attributes. She consists of glorious members, and she has a glorious future. Oh, how thankful we should be for the church of Christ. Let us never take her for granted. Let us never do anything that would harm or diminish her in any way, but let us rather pray for her. Pray for the peace of Zion defend her, support her, and build her up until that day comes when Christ shall come as a bridegroom for his bride. And then she will be arrayed in fine linen, and she will be seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and she will feast with him and reign with him to all eternity. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you have just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. Dot com. That's all one word, bannerroftruthradio.com. 
Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage address, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.